Listener Production. All right, so you've just clicked on this episode of The Briefing and the data says that you're probably listening to us on your phone, as you do when you podcast. Now, a question for you. In the very short time that you've already been listening to this podcast, have you already opened up another app and started scrolling something else? Maybe Instagram, TikTok, WhatsApp, maybe just your text messages. There are so many things competing for our attention on our phones that it makes it really hard to focus. So in this episode, we look at the problem that we all face, me included, that's for sure, stolen focus. Now, can we fight back against it as individuals by being more disciplined? Or is there a bigger war we need to wage on the forces that are vying for our attention? We need to stop just blaming ourselves, thinking there's something wrong with you or me. We are not medieval peasants begging at the court of King Zuckerberg for a few little crumbs of attention from his table. We are the free citizens of democracies and we own our own minds and we can take them back from the forces that are invading them. But we've got to understand what's really happening to us and we've got to decide if attention is something we really value. That's Johan Hari, the author of a new book called Stolen Focus. I'll interview him in this episode's briefing. First, Katrina Blouse is here for the headlines. It is Tuesday, June 14. The Socceroos have qualified for the FIFA World Cup, having beaten Peru in Qatar this morning. Yeah, it was the 20th qualifier the Socceroos have contested on the way to winning through to the event, which will be held in November. And this was a cracker of a game. It was nil all at full time. Um, Both sides scoreless at the end of extra time as well, so they had to go into a penalty shootout. Yeah, lots of uh, bleary eyes today, but lots of uh, very happy faces. Australia's goalkeeper, Andrew Redmay, managed to save one of Peru's attempts. And after an earlier shot hit the post, it gave the Socceroos a 5-4 win in penalties. It's all on this for Peru. Alex Valera. And Redmay makes the save. It's a save that means the world to Australia. It's a save that means the World Cup for Australia. They are going to the World Cup in Qatar. No one gave them much of a chance, but never ever write off the Socceroos. A fifth consecutive World Cup. Good on you, boys. That's an amazing result. We'll look forward to seeing the Socceroos hopefully advance all the way to the final at the FIFA World Cup, which will be held in Qatar. There are fears the east coast of Australia could see power blackouts. Yeah, the regulator's been forecasting potential energy shortfalls due to tight supplies, which is mainly due to people hitting their homes in this cold snap, poor-performing coal-fired power plants and high international power prices. Queensland managed to narrowly avoid a night of blackouts after some of the state's biggest consumers cut their power use to ease pressure on the grid and some more generators came online. And New South Wales and Victoria could see the same request made of their big energy customers today um, so they can avoid the same fate. In the USA, the second day of hearings into the January 6 riots has been underway. Yeah, the hearing is examining the events that led up to the riots, starting with Donald Trump's decision on election night to ignore the will of the voters. You will also hear testimony that President Trump rejected the advice of his campaign experts on election night and instead followed the course recommended by an apparently inebriated Rudy Giuliani to just claim he won. 
Yeah, so as well as denying the election results, the hearing will look at Trump's decisions to ignore the court rulings and his fundraising efforts based on the false claim of election fraud. So in the first day of hearings, which was Friday our time, they looked at the lead up to the riot and Trump's role in encouraging it. And as we know, nine people died in the January 6 riot and its aftermath, including a Trump supporter who was shot and killed by police. And more than 800 people have been arrested in relation to the siege. Our Defence Minister Richard Miles is in Japan, where he'll be working to strengthen our relationship. So they're going to be pushing for more joint military exercises with Japan and Australia after an agreement was signed in January. Uh, Miles has also said that Australia will continue exercising freedom of navigation over international waters in the South China Sea. That's the area that China says is part of its territory. Now this comes two days after he spoke with his Chinese counterpart, Defence Minister Wei Fenghe. It's three years since defence ministers of our two countries have met. It was an opportunity to have a very frank and full exchange. It was a critical first step. Yeah, I think he's right there. It is good for our uh, leaders to be speaking with China again. Three years since we've had a ministerial um, meeting. I know in the election campaign, Katrina, the coalition were trying to score points out of accusations that Labor would be too close to Chinese officials. Mm. But I think as long as you can hold the line on the key issues that matter to Australia, particularly in regards to security, it's good to be having a dialogue and hopefully unlocking some of those import bans that have stopped billions of dollars worth of Australian sales into China. Oh, absolutely better to be talking than not. One of those things that uh, Miles did bring up was that incident on May 25 when one of Australia's aircrafts was intercepted by a Chinese jet over the contested South China Sea. They also spoke about the $20 billion worth of trade sanctions uh, you just touched upon there, Tom, which China has levelled against Australia. And the newly elected member for Kuyong, Monique Ryan, who unseated Josh Frydenberg, she's come out saying that her supporters have received misogynistic, racist and threatening letters during the campaign. These are all people who've had campaign signs in their front gardens, on their private property, and their letters which are threatening. Yeah, so those handwritten notes have been dropped in people's letterboxes, one of them warning the recipient to look both ways when they left their front gate. Not not nice to receive something like that. Yeah, so Monique Ryan is one of those two independents that, that won. She took that seat off Josh Frydenberg and it was a very intense campaign. Um, I did drive through that area in the lead up to the election and the amount of signage was out of control the interesting thing to note was that Josh Frydenberg's was mostly rented space on shop fronts, whereas the signs supporting Monique Ryan were all in people's private homes. Yeah, not very nice to hear that those people copped a backlash for that. And nine newspapers have retracted their column about Rebel Wilson coming out as having a girlfriend. Yeah, so over the last couple of days, uh, the newspaper, the Sydney Morning Herald, has copped a wave of criticism for an article on Saturday that explained that the Herald gossip writer gave Wilson a two-day deadline to come back to them, basically out herself as being in this relationship, or they'd go public with the news of her relationship with fashion designer Ramona Agruma. Yeah, and Wilson beat that deadline by announcing it herself on Instagram on Friday, saying she'd found her Disney princess. It was a cute post, I thought. Yeah, and so that was all over the news on Friday. And on Saturday in this column, which has now been pulled, um, the journalist at the Herald, Andrew Hornery, accused Wilson of going public first to gazump his story, 
Now that column's been retracted and the journalist printed an apology yesterday with the Sydney Morning Herald's editor calling the deadline an error in reporting because the email to Wilson looked like an ultimatum. I think it did too. Uh, Wilson said in a tweet that it was a very hard situation, but that she was trying to handle it with grace. Now, I guess the latest development in this is uh, a leaked email has now been published where an anonymous staffer says the paper's reputation has been trashed. Uh, They're saying, you know, this is uh, international attention that the Sydney Morning Herald's now getting. And uh, they've blamed it on a series of bad editorial decisions. They've also brought up the Sydney Morning Herald's uh, social media policy which um, means that a lot of staff apparently have to often delete things and, and opinions that they put up on social media. Yeah, so it's interesting that that, that email was about a series of bad editorial decisions. Um, I think this has caused a lot of angst at the Sydney Morning Herald and particularly given they've got a relatively new editor, Bevan Shields. He's um, having to learn pretty quickly in this new high-pressure job. All right, just before we head into our interview with Johan Hari, um, Katrina, you might have noticed that um, the briefing, we got some pretty good figures last month and most of our new listeners are coming from Spotify. Yeah, and I've actually had many people tell me that they've seen us pop up on Spotify and given us a listen for the first time. So thank you to all of you. It's so great to have you on board. Yeah, if you're relatively new to the briefing, maybe you've come from Spotify, maybe you've come from another app. Um, We'd love you to subscribe. We'd love to keep you around and um, make you part of the briefing family as we bring you the news updates every day, and then a deep dive in the second half. And if you're really enjoying it, we'd love you to rate, subscribe, or share on social media. Thank you so much. All right, Katrina, we'll catch you later. I'm about to dive into this um, really interesting interview about Stolen Focus with Johan Hari. Right now to the fight for our minds, how to win back our stolen focus from our phones and the internet. Now, there is a lot we can do to change our own behavior, but the question we get into in this discussion is whether it will ever be enough when we're up against the best software engineers in the world, the people that work for the social media companies that make money by getting our attention. So this is an interview with Johan Hari. He's a British journalist who's just published his third book, and it's called Stolen Focus. Johan, thank you for joining us. You start this journey of research and personal experience by taking a three-month digital detox. Tell us about that. How did it go and why did you need to do it? I just had to do it. I noticed that my own ability to focus and pay attention was getting worse and worse. It felt like with each year that passed, things that require deep focus that are so important to me, Tom, things like reading a book, having proper long conversations, watching films, were getting more and more like running up a down escalator. You know, I could still do them, but they were getting harder and harder. And I could see I wasn't the only one. The average office worker now focuses on only one task, but only three minutes. So at the start of the journey, I thought, well, the problem here is obvious, right? I'm just not strong enough. I'm lacking in willpower. And someone invented the smartphone and that screwed me over. I later learned these stories were ridiculously oversimplified. But because that's what I believed, I thought, well, the solution's obvious. I'm going to use my willpower. I'm going to go away without my phone or indeed even a laptop that can get online. So I went to a place called Provincetown for three months. And there were some ups and downs. But the thing that most blew my mind, you know, I thought, you know, I was nearly 40. I thought maybe my attention is getting worse just because I'm getting older. My attention went back to being as good as it had been when I was 17. I could read for eight hours a day. My intention improved mm. to a staggering degree. Yeah, so it went really well. 
Yeah, so I guess this is the question. Um, on a superficial level, it is kind of simple. We look at our phones too much. We get distracted from our work. But do you feel it goes much deeper than that? Is it causing us much more serious psychological problems or is it just a bit of a drain on productivity? No, you put it really well. So after I left Provincetown, you know, I was amazed by how good it had been. I thought, I'm never going to go back to how I was before. And within a couple of months, I was 80% back to where I'd been. I was like, what's going on here? So I ended up going on this big journey all over the world to interview over 200 of the leading experts on attention and focus. And actually what I learned is there's scientific evidence for 12 factors that can make your attention better or can make your attention worse. From the food we eat to the air we breathe, there are loads of factors that are harming our ability to focus. And loads of those factors have been really rising in recent years. So anyone listening, if you're struggling to focus and pay attention, you're not weak. This isn't your fault. This is happening to almost all of us. And the book is called Stolen Focus, precisely because our focus has been stolen from us by some really big forces. But once you understand those forces and the real range of them, we can actually begin to deal with them. Okay. And you um, actually talk about an author who I've interviewed before on this topic, um, Nir Eyal, who wrote the book Indistractable. So his basic idea is that if you have a greater sense of the traction you want in your life, i.e. the things you want to do, the way you want to be spending your time, you're less likely to be dragged off it. You know, when you feel uncomfortable or bored, you're less likely to be dragged into the wiles of the wonderful and terrible and hopeless internet. Um, but you say that's cruel optimism that I guess um, focusing on our own discipline or the way we plan our time is only a small part of the solution. I think of them as defense and offense. There are loads of things that we can do at an individual level to protect ourselves and our children. Because the truth is, Tom, at the moment, it's like someone is pouring itching powder over us all day. And then they're leaning forward and going, you know what, mate, uh, you might want to learn how to meditate Then you wouldn't scratch so much. And you want to go, well, screw you. I'll learn to meditate. That's really valuable. But you need to stop pouring itching powder on me, right? So we need to go on offense against the forces that are doing this to us. That can sound a bit fancy and abstract. I went to MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, to interview one of the leading neuroscientists in the world, a man named mm -hmm. Professor Earl Miller. And he said to me, look, there's one thing you've got to understand about the human brain more than anything else. You can only consciously think about one or two things at a time. That's it. This is just a fundamental limitation of the human brain. The human brain has not changed significantly in 40,000 years. It ain't going to change on any time scale any of us are going to see. But what's happened is we've fallen from mass delusion. The average teenager believes they can follow six or seven forms of media at the same time. So what happens is Professor Miller and his colleagues, they get people into labs, not just teenagers, older people too. And they get them to think they're doing more than one thing at a time. And what they discover is always the same. You can't do more than one thing at a time. What you do is you juggle very quickly between your tasks. You go from like, wait, what did Tom just ask me? What's that message on WhatsApp? What does it say on the TV there? Wait, what did Tom just ask me again? We're juggling all the time. Mm. And this turns out, it turns out this comes with a really big cost. The fancy name for it is the switch cost effect. When you try and do more than one thing at a time, you end up doing all the things you're trying to do much less competently. You make more mistakes you remember less of what you do, you're much less creative. That sounds like a small effect. In fact, one study found 
the damage to your intelligence from switching tasks very rapidly is twice as big in the short term as actually getting stoned, right? It's a really big effect. Don't you think we have the power to adapt and actually use a lot of this amazing information that we have access to now to our advantage? Well, you're totally right, Tom. There are loads of great things about the technological changes that are happening that I'm passionately in favour of. And we can adapt to some degree. Yeah, so I mean, we're in a profit-driven capitalist economy where the social media giants are incentivized by that profit to attract our attention. So how are we possibly going to undo that? I mean, is that where you think the, the focus when you talk about the systematic changes needs to be? We've got to have a huge number of systematic changes because exhausted people can't pay attention. Uh, the way we eat is really harming our ability to focus and pay attention. But you're totally right, Tom. A significant part of what we need to do is to deal with the aspects of the internet, and it's some aspects of the internet, not the whole internet, that are harming our ability to focus. And you're right, the way it works is, anyone listening, if you open Facebook now or TikTok or Twitter, any of the mainstream social media apps, those apps start to make money out of you immediately in two ways. The first way is really obvious. You see advertising, no one needs me to explain that. The second way is much more important. Everything you do on these apps is scanned and sorted by their artificial intelligence algorithms to figure out what will keep you scrolling, what will hold your attention for as long as possible, right? For the very simple reason that the longer you scroll, the more money they make. Every time you close the app, that revenue stream disappears. So all of their algorithms, all of their artificial intelligence, you know, you can try having self-control, but every time you do, there's 10,000 engineers on the other side of the screen trying to undermine your self-control. How can you possibly change that? We've got to force them to move to How? a different business model. We are really facing a threat to our attention right now, right? We've got to decide together that we value attention. So step one is we ban what's called surveillance capitalism, which obviously we're not saying we ban all capitalism. Surveillance capitalism is the particular business model that currently dominates all the social media apps. It's very simple. The more you scroll, the more information they gather on you, the more money they make, right? So you ban that. And I remember saying to people who said that to me, leading experts in Silicon Valley, okay, what happens the next day when I open Facebook? Would it just say, sorry, guys, we've all gone fishing? They said to me, of course not. What would happen is those companies would have to move to a different business model. And everyone listening, almost everyone, will have experience of the alternative business models. So one of them is subscription. Think about Netflix, right? Think about HBO. We all know how they work. You pay a certain amount. In return, you get access. Or think about the sewers. Before we had sewers, we had feces in the street. We had, you know, people getting cholera. So we all own the sewers together and we all maintain the sewers together. Now, it might be that, like, we want to own the sewage pipes together because we get to prevent cholera. We might want to own the information pipes together because we're getting the equivalent of cholera for our attention and I would argue our politics. But the key thing is, whichever of these alternative business models we force them to move to, or another business model we haven't thought of yet, the key thing is all the incentives change. At the moment, every incentive for TikTok, Facebook, Instagram is to hack your attention and fragment it and keep you scrolling as long as possible because you are not their customer. You are the product they sell to their real customer who's advertisers. I absolutely think there is a solution there. It's a problem that can be solved and it's probably got to solve, but it requires a shift in psychology, really. 
We need to stop just blaming ourselves, thinking there's something wrong with you or me. And we need to stop only asking for kind of small solutions. We are not medieval peasants begging at the court of King Zuckerberg for a few little crumbs of attention from his table. We are the free citizens of democracies and we own our own minds and we can take them back from the forces that are invading them and invading our kids' attention if we want to. But we've got to understand what's really happening to us and we've got to decide if attention is something we really value. If it is, if we fight for it, we can get it back. So that was Johan Hari, who's written a book called Stolen Focus. That's already out, so you can get it at all bookstores. Now, I think he makes a good point that somehow the best thing to do would be to change the business model of the attention economy. But how do you do that? From the answers he just gave, I'm not convinced that Johan or maybe anyone has quite worked out how to do that in a free market society. I mean, can we really introduce laws that force a company to change from an advertising business model to a subscription model? And even then, if we could, would it necessarily stop them from just designing their services so that we use them as much as possible? My personal view is that, yes, we are guinea pigs in this first generation of people with smartphones and social media and access to incredible amounts of information. It's just going to be a long and at times difficult adjustment so that Ultimately, there's a lot more upside than downside to this access to information. And sadly, I think so much of that is still going to fall onto us. Um, but some technological solutions may be part of, I guess, a suite of tools that help us limit the way we do it and do it in ways that actually are productive and beneficial for us. Tomorrow on the briefing, there's a massive trial of the four-day working week in the UK. And good news, it's coming here too. So will it work? Will we finally get three-day weekends? Listener.